hello and welcome to another episode of uh, bharat varta weekly i'm your host nirav kanodra and with me today i have abhishek paul so today we are here to uh, run you down through all the uh, events which happened in the uh, last week going back to last week we had two interesting episodes on uh, bharat varta so one was on the open network for digital commerce or ondc uh, which is expected to transform india's retail sector and uh, the other one uh, was a conversation with gray conley part of velina stocks uh, which is talking about the new australian labor government so abhishek what do you make out of these two episodes very covering uh, like a wide uh, breadth actually yes hi nidop so yeah i think uh, you know both the episodes were very interesting uh, to talk about the ondc one it was great to have the ceo of ondc as well as mr koshi as well as nikhil right who has worked on uh, the development of various uh, platforms uh, in india's uh, digital public face right like uh, upi etc so both of them spoke uh, very well in trying to explain the whole concept of ondc right and i would uh, recommend all uh, you know viewers of bharat varta to check out this episode in particular uh, i think ondc itself is a very ambitious project you know trying to expand uh, and democratize uh, access to you know digital markets for india's retail sector right and one of the uh, interesting analogies that nikhil kumar gave during this uh, episode was that you know how let's say a couple of decades ago uh, various municipal authorities would open shopping complexes in big cities right like bangalore has lot of these bda centers where a lot of shops uh, were opened by various kinds of retailers right and now the idea is the same you know to sort of you know take this concept to retailers all over india right you know slowly uh, right now digital commerce mostly happens through you know these large platforms like uh, amazon flipkart etc right and ondc is sort of trying to uh, make it easier and more accessible to smaller retailers etc while giving the consumers more choice as well right so it's a very different interesting concept one can always argue that why should uh, government get into this space in the first place right i don't think uh, any other country has actually come up with this uh, concept in this space but sometimes you know government interventions can be useful as well like uh how big a success upi has been for payments and i think the idea is to do something similar uh, in terms of the retail uh, sector right and some other interesting tidbits that you can gather is actually the whole background and how the pandemic forced some of india's uh, you know public intellectuals and thinkers to think in this space and how this whole thing came about so worth checking it out uh, coming to the other episode uh, with gray connelly on velina's talk uh, i really enjoyed this episode uh, so uh, mr connelly uh, obviously spoke about uh, the current geopolitical situation from an australian perspective he talked about uh, how he believes that you know the new labor government despite being left of center will broadly be uh, doing a continuation of policies when it comes to the foreign policy space for australia right 
but where i really enjoyed this episode was when he uh, started talking about the russia ukraine conflict i think if you as if you were to check about only a part of the episode i would recommend checking around let's say the 40 45 minute mark where you, you know, the discussion on russia and ukraine starts and to me he gave one of the best analysis that i have heard on this conflict uh, talking about what are russia's strategic objectives uh, the concept of novo russia and how russia is looking to basically capture influence around the black sea uh, how this could impact even a nato country like turkey and make them choose the other side in the long run right if russia and turkey are able to you know capture and influence and control uh, the black sea area so fascinating discussion and definitely would recommend uh, bharatwarta viewers to check it out so moving on uh, since you are talking about russia uh, india and russia are to meet uh, this wednesday to talk about a new payment system uh, this is giving finishing touches to uh, the bilateral payment system between the two countries uh, without violating any global sanctions the two sides will meet uh, solutions such as a vostro and loro accounts uh, which uh, basically is a system where one bank has a account in a foreign country in their domestic currency so indian banks having ruble accounts and correspondingly russian banks having rupee accounts i think uh, this is a fairly interesting time in terms of geopolitics uh, if you just look at uh, uh, the whole global oil and gas trade uh europe was very much buying uh, almost uh, exclusively from russia oil and gas and india was buying bulk of its uh, oil imports from the middle east india and china and now what has happened is that uh, due to the sanctions etc uh, some of the russian so still europe is buying more uh, gas from russia via pipelines uh, some of the countries have stopped buying oil and that oil is coming to india and uh, india um not buying middle eastern oil so that middle eastern oil is uh, flowing into europe right so it's kind of uh, uh, like a, a unique situation and uh, second thing is the payments systems so the global international payments the main backbone is a swift system but russia has been uh, uh, sanctioned and uh, hence most of the russian banks cannot access swift but russia has its own payment system india has its own payment system uh, and now they are trying to merge these two and have a rupee ruble trade uh, we had an episode earlier on bharat varta whether you know will the us dollar lose its uh, uh, reserve currency status so this russian oil is still being priced in us dollars but the trade settlement will happen in uh, rupees and ruble and uh, india at this moment has a large trade deficit versus russia so uh, india is importing a lot more oil from russia but india is not exporting enough yet right so probably this is an opportunity for uh, some of the indian manufacturing companies to try and substitute uh, the trade which was happening say from europe whatever russia was buying from europe maybe that uh, could be bought from india instead uh, also what might happen is that the balance once this uh, nostro vostro accounts are set up is uh, because russia will have excess uh, rupees right or india is like net short rubles uh, you might see russian banks buying indian assets so they might buy indian government bonds or indian uh, corporate bonds or state government uh, debt and uh, so this is having like one captive customer uh, overall all over the world right like i think uh, what has happened is that these sanctions came in too swiftly too abruptly swift to uh, kind of use the same word here but 
that has given a shock to the global system, right? And uh, everybody is now going to look at uh, potentially other parallel systems so that you can't get cancelled, right? Uh, so we are all going to build resilience. Maybe this is the first of such other payment systems uh, which come up. Uh, probably there will be something between China and Russia as well. Uh, you will see uh, multiple, maybe as we go to like a multipolar world, you will see multiple parallel systems coming up, right? So you don't want any one hegemon. Uh, you don't want any one person having the ability. Uh, and this was also done without any debate in the parliament uh, in in the US or in the UK or the other European nations uh, that overnight you could freeze somebody's accounts. Overnight you could uh, cancel someone from like a payment infrastructure, right? So this is a good thing. Uh, also, if this is very successful, this is one technology export like the whole UPI payment system, uh, India already, was already exploring uh, with uh, uh, having lines with Singapore, for example, right? Uh, India has a free trade agreement with ASEAN, uh, but these all things coupled with uh, India signing free trade agreements with various countries, Australia being one, UK being another, is, is like a positive, right? So uh, that is definitely an opportunity. Uh, this crisis has given a lot of uh, burst to a lot of opportunities or different uh, systems and uh, maybe this is one of them uh, uh, so moving on actually uh, i think this is one very tragic piece of news that one person dead in riots and uh, 13 injured uh, against like the army's new uh, recruitment policy uh, the critics of the scheme say that this uh, weakens the armed forces and increases unemployment rate in the country uh, the new Agnipath scheme was aimed at between uh, uh, people between 17 and a half to 21 years of age and uh, was like a four-year short service commission where the recruits would not be eligible to pension, but just one lump sum payment at the end and only about 25% would be absorbed. Uh, many people have taken uh, to the streets, uh, especially in states like uh, Bihar, Telangana, UPA, West Bengal, to protest against this. Uh, sadly, they've uh, burnt buses and railway coaches in Bihar and Telangana. Uh, Abhishek, what do you make out of this? This is a very tragic incident. And uh, like it shows how difficult any reform is in the country. Yeah, so I think uh, there are like four or five different aspects to this discussion. So number one, we are seeing a recording pattern in the country where uh, uh, reforms are met being met with a uh, lot of protests and some of them are often turning violent violent right and um, so uh, so what happens is you know what we do in the past sort of leads us to the future right and if people have seen that the government has uh, actually uh, taken u turns in the past based on how severe and how long and how sustained some of the protests have been uh, that emboldens other protesters. So, uh, you know, the experience that we have seen during, let's say, the CA and RC issue or the farm laws issue, basically, uh, you know, every previous incident probably emboldens people uh, to protest and sometimes protest violently, right? Uh, protests are, of course, uh, perfectly fine. Uh, it's the violence which is main concern right um, so that is one thing it's very unfortunate but quite predictable now i would say uh, secondly uh, let's talk a little bit about the agnipath uh, scheme i think it's a big enough topic for 
a full episode someday uh, but uh, to summarize how i look at it it's a very radical reform uh, and the background to it is this that the uh, armies and militaries of the future will require uh, more technology and less manpower right more weaponry and less manpower that means we need more capital expenditure right and less operating expenditures now uh, given how india's current mix of spending is we spend a lot on manpower and often big part of that cost is also on the pensions of uh, soldiers right uh the one rank one uh, pension scheme that the government uh, brought in has also increased to that in uh, quite heavily i would say so while uh, we did that for our past soldiers it is a fact now that uh you know given how state of uh, things are uh, in our neighborhood we need more capital expenditure to keep uh you know modernizing our militaries and things like that so net net the fact is that india needs to uh cut down or at least stop the uh pace of increase of its pension bill let's say i don't think any cutting down is happening but we need to stop the uh, rate of increase right now in our pension bill curtail it and shift some of our budget into uh capex right for uh new technologies new hardware systems and so on right so now what is the government doing so basically in our uh armed forces we have two types right we have officers and non officers now for our non officers the agnipath scheme will going forward is supposed to be the only source of recruitment right uh which means that uh uh you know people who are successful in entering via the scheme will be in the armed forces for about 4 years and after that uh 25% of the best of them will continue and the others will be uh leaving the armed forces there are certain uh monetary numbers at the end of it uh, which they will get some of it from their own contribution some of it is some tax free benefits by the government and so on but if you look at the numbers right there are a few things so essentially if you look at numbers for army recruitment from 2015 onwards it ranges anywhere between 50000 to 80000 a year and this is only for the army let's say you add navy and air force maybe the numbers are between 50000 to 1 lakh per year right who have been entering the army the last two years have seen no recruitment now this current year's agnipath scheme talks about taking 46000 people uh and this 46000 people will become only 25% of it right so about uh 11 12000 will continue the remaining 33000 will sort of leave after 4 years so now if you think about it just in terms of numbers let's say we take a number of 50000 average right uh, so let's say instead of 50000 people getting a permanent job 
in the previous scheme of things, about only 25% of them will get that. So now what is happening is that this is leading to a backlash, right? Because for a large section of uh, uh, youth in, let's say, some of more India's more poorer states, an army job or a military job is one of the things the youth looks forward to, right? Uh, it is a job which comes with great respect. Uh, it is a job which is coveted. It is a job also which comes with a pension, which comes with retirement benefits and so on. You are gainfully employed for 17, 20, 25 years at times, right? in the army as a non-officer. Uh, and so effectively what the government is saying is that uh, we need less people and we also want to uh, bring down the average age of the people in the army and hence this new form. So I can see why this would be a lot of, this would cause a lot of heartburn to people. I think since announcing the scheme, the government has made a number of tweaks quickly. For example, uh, they have increased the average, uh, sorry, the maximum age from 21 to 23 for the current year because some people would have lost their attempts uh, because uh, two years there was no recruitment. They have also uh, encouraged various state governments to uh, say that uh, you know, people who are coming out of this scheme uh, will get preference in state government jobs, state police jobs, so on. There is some talk about uh, certain educational qualifications, certificates, etc. Right. So, certain amount of tinkering is happening on the margins uh, to make this a uh, bit more attractive for the people. But net net, let's face it, right? The fact is that uh, uh, for people who have been uh, seeing dreams of having an army job or a military job, their chances for that are going to come down, right? And that is a harsh reality for some people to uh, uh, deal with. Um, uh, and obviously, this does not mean that uh, you should be getting violent and burning down trains. I mean, it's quite hard to imagine that someone who was looking to become uh, the custodian of the nation as a soldier uh, turns on a dime and, you know, uh, starts burning trains if that is no longer an option. It, it's a fact that your competition basically has increased your chances are probably lower, but still does not condone, uh, you know, uh, does not mean that, you know, you should be going down burning trains. Uh, some of the initial investigations have shown that certain coaching institutes, people in coaching institutes have been behind instigating the youth. I can actually believe that uh, because, you know, all this is also a linked economy, right? If, for example, less people in two, three years start going to coaching institutes, they are impacted. And so uh, I don't know uh, where it will go, whether the government will stick to it or take a U-turn or it will delay this uh, reform to, let's say, 
uh, one option could be right that you say okay we'll start agnipath but only in 2026 or something like that i also feel like this is a change that may not survive uh, if there is a different central government in place right because it's an easy uh, vote winner for the opposition if they say no everything will continue the same in the army we'll continue to you know hire more people ultimately i think uh, what is happening is that uh, you know we are still not creating enough uh, gainful employment in the country for our youth and that is basically the crux of the entire problem and so we you know the social uh, effect of that comes out in you know various things such as this uh, violent protest oh, totally agree totally agree i think uh, what this tells you so we've seen uh, farm laws being rolled back we've seen uh, land reforms being rolled back uh, even this may be diluted down or uh, whatever it tells you how difficult is uh, reforms in any form because what happens is like today's deficits are tomorrow's taxes or today's saving is tomorrow spending in uh, gainful spending in maybe better military hardware or in other parts right but uh, here uh, uh, the the gains are like widely sparsely distributed and uh, the losses are on like one specific section uh, of the society which becomes a vocal minority right and uh, yeah. so this is exactly uh, what it is uh it is very difficult to change through the status quo uh, while like i think that the scheme was fantastic uh but i think all problems or like a lot of indian problems uh they just have like one solution and that is growing economy i would not like to say more jobs because we can keep employing people and like a lot of government departments or psus are overstaffed since uh like the 70s and 80s uh because they end up being like entitlement schemes or like urban uh, you know job guarantee scheme like narega is the rural one but uh, what we need is a growing economy and uh, which kind of absorbs all these people uh, probably uh, if this is seen as like a nice uh, four year path with about 25% moving on in uh, within the army itself uh, maybe others getting into uh, jobs within like say uh border security force or like uh police force etc right uh, this could be an alternative career path also uh think about it this way that if you have n number of people having a 18 to 20 year career and then like a long pension life right uh maybe a 40 year or like 30 to 40 years where they collect pension you join at say maybe 18 18 to 38 you work and then 38 to like 78 uh probably you collect pension right uh in in instead of that you have like three times as many people working just for four 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 years right so probably in all probability more people will be ex servicemen and have a shorter stint in the army right so across generations so in a in a way it create some better employment prospects for four years where you have uh, like a disciplined uh, workforce uh, which could be absorbed into like the private sector and maybe some sort of this kind of communication needs to be done as well that like while a lot of people are uh, burning down because they look at army as a, like an employment avenue uh, with like a 20 year service and a 40 year pension 
uh, expectancy, right? Uh, and if you just look at it as a, a higher chance of having four years gainful employment, and uh, maybe opens a door for like a lot of other things, uh, that could be seen. I think it's uh, one other thing is where these schemes. It's a little bit more communication uh, issue as well, as you said. This is a very vast topic, and uh, we could do like a whole episode on this, right? Uh, which probably we should do uh, in the future. So uh, moving on, uh, Sensex and Nifty uh, suffered the worst week in two years. Uh, you saw benchmark equity indices uh, fall uh, over three and a half percent. This is in a week where you had like a lot of global central banks uh, uh, tightening their interest rate policy. So you had the U.S. Federal Reserve hiking interest rates by 0.75 percent. Uh, you had uh, Swiss National Bank hiking by half a percent. You had Bank of England by uh, a quarter percent. So all of this has kind of led to uh, like uh, more money moving out of stocks into more debt instruments. And uh, this is while we can say yes, it suffered the worst week in two years. But two years ago, we saw a lot worse in during COVID, right? And uh, what had happened is that the global central banks cut interest rates to zero. Uh, they pumped the whole world with uh, money. And a lot of that money came into all global stock markets, right? And uh, right now, everybody is now withdrawing that stimulus. And this is some of it was to be expected. See, uh, markets don't only go up all the time. Uh, markets go up and they go down. And uh, this is something which uh, kind of should have been expected. I think Indian markets, though, have uh, performed a little bit better than the global ones. And now that like a lot of foreigners had already pulled out money during COVID and they never came back and Indian markets are driven uh, more by domestic investors. Uh, so now the worry will be, uh, which you can look at it in a good way or a bad way. If the fixed deposit rates start going up a uh, fair amount, we might see more money move from stocks uh, to uh, more fixed income instruments, right? So uh, that is one thing to note. But on the whole, I think, uh, India and Indian companies have done fairly well and weathered the COVID storm. And uh, it has shown our resilience, right? Uh, that yes, we were affected. Uh, that is fine. But uh, we took certain steps. We kind of uh, uh, ran through it. Uh, we showed like the rest of the world that India could also function reasonably well in a work from home environment, right? A uh, lot of sectors can't, sadly, like retail and a lot of people, a lot of livelihoods were affected. But I think, uh, so the whole issue of COVID problems are out. And now it's problems of like withdrawing like global liquidity. Everybody removes the emergency uh, liquidity, what they are provided. And uh, so there has to be some sort of a pullback. So it's just, just that. And uh, hopefully we bounce back and like how we bounce back from COVID, uh, we bounce back from this episode and come out stronger. Uh, moving on, uh, uh, Pakistan to release 20 fishermen, Indian fishermen next week. So 20 Indian fishermen from Gujarat who had been captured by Pakistan in the past are supposed to be handed over to Indian authorities on 20th June. Nearly 500 fishermen from Gujarat are languishing in jails in Pakistan, uh, out of which 358 were arrested in the last two years. So Abhishek, uh, this is uh, like a small step uh, towards what is probably uh, needed. Yes, I think uh, Indian fishermen uh, 
do get arrested by both Pakistan and Sri Lanka quite often. As what happens is while they are doing their fishing activities, uh, they inadvertently cross the uh, maritime boundaries. And obviously, uh, both Pakistan and in the past, Sri Lanka has been very active in patrolling these boundaries and you know arresting Indian fishermen. Um, and so, yeah, as you said, uh, that 500 number would probably shock a lot of people to know that you know so many are actually languishing in uh, Pakistani jails uh, for big, fairly innocuous uh, mistakes, right? I don't think there is a single case of anyone actually having any ulterior motive or anything like that, right? Uh, because if there had been actual any actual criminal elements involved, these countries would have publicized that, right? So it's just uh, the nature of, uh, high, you know, deep sea fishing. Uh, and yeah, 20 people is a small number, but uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we'll see more in the future. And to be fair, actually, India to arrests uh, from the other side, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of a small uh, power flexing that is done by all our countries uh, when it comes to this issue. Yeah. And uh, moving on, uh, so Reserve Bank of India uh, sold uh, ten billion dollars. Actually, it's a billion, not million, uh, in FX reserves as uh, they uh, sought to cushion uh, the domestic import uh, imports of uh, transport fuels, uh, so crude oil. Uh, this also serves the uh, purpose to uh, prevent the loss in value of rupee. So India's uh, foreign exchange reserves have fallen to slightly below $600 billion uh, and 10 billion of that was in the last week itself. Uh, the peak was $642 billion. But like, again, this is nothing for panic. Uh, prior to the pandemic, uh, we were at about $440 billion. And what happened at that time is because India was in a very stringent lockdown, our oil imports uh, fell dramatically. And uh, even gold imports for that pattern. And what India did is they did not let the currency appreciate at that time. They did not, they actually hiked fuel taxes. Uh, so did not increase demand for fuel uh, like a lot. And uh, at that, all of that, we went on our reserves from 440 to 640 billion. So we maintained a stable rupee. And now that, for what did we accumulate those reserves for, right? So uh, basically, uh, it is saving it for a rainy day. And now is the rainy day where you are seeing, uh, due to global higher inflation, uh, global supply chains are still clogged. So our import bill is much higher. And at that time where India is importing more than exporting. So we do have like a net trade deficit in the good times, we were financing it by equity inflows by foreigners buying our equities. Right. And now that has stalled. So to maintain a stable value of the rupee, RBI is actually draining its reserves. So it is uh, quite a prudent measure. It is something which is, uh, uh, which is anticipated and this was actually planned for and very well managed. So if anything, uh, that is good prudent management, uh, you are saving up for a rainy day. And then uh, this is a time where you actually utilize it. Uh, all of these things, actually, I feel uh, that India with all the steps that India and different organizations 
different institutions within India have taken, uh, probably India has become more resilient uh, uh, in this whole period of COVID, right? So probably it's a good sign uh, rather than being like a fragile uh, situation. Uh, the kind of sad example is Sri Lanka, our neighbor, uh, whose economy collapsed during COVID. I think India has shown uh, a reasonably good strength. And so even if it's, there are a lot of alarmist headlines that, oh, Indian reserves fall by $10 billion. But it's okay. They had risen to over $200 billion as well, right? So some of it we are giving back. And uh, hopefully uh, as things open up and like uh, uh, the supply bottlenecks are all uh, reduced a bit. So Indian import will comes down and hopefully India manages to export a lot more as well. So uh, yeah, uh, that's about it on the topics for the week. Uh, next week, we have a very interesting uh, episode uh, with uh, Ankit Devgar, uh, Doegar uh, on delivering social welfare on last mile delivery and uh, women empowerment. Uh, Ankit is a co-founder and CEO of Hak Darshak. And uh, this is going to be extremely interesting uh, given all the social changes and uh, how social welfare is impacting uh, like real bottom of the pyramid and at the grassroots level. Uh, so uh, that's it from me and Abhishek. Uh, thank you for watching Bharat Varta. Uh, please tune in again next week for our weekly and please watch our episodes uh, during the week as well. Uh, thank you and Jai Hind.